Well, there are certain things, excuse me, <clears throat> in American culture, there are certain things in American culture that you just don't do. One of them, big on the list, is in America, we generally think it is rude to question or challenge people's opinions about God. So let me ask you, would you be okay with that? Would you be okay if somebody questioned or challenged your opinion about God? Let's take it one step further. Could Jesus himself, the man who claimed to be God, become a man and proved it through many miracles and ultimately by rising from the dead, could Jesus question or challenge you? Could he really? Would you really be willing to let him do that? I don't know if you know this, but I've been working on this with our children's ministry. Uh, you know, it's important that the kids learn correctly, isn't it? So I've been talking with some of the teachers uh, and, and saying, you know, a lot of times what happens is, and this happens in adult settings, somebody says something, nobody says anything, and so people are listening and they go, oh, that must be true. You know, they have a Bible, you know, even if they brought in a, a five-year-old Bible, they have a Bible, it must be true. So I said, you know, maybe when the kids say something wrong, maybe we should say something about it. And there was an incident that happened last week. I don't know if it made social media or anything like that, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if it did. I went in to observe one of the classrooms, and I wanted to see if the teachers would address incorrect things that were said uh, by the kids. So I figured I would start with the preschoolers, you know, get them while they're young and get them, get them used to that. And I was listening there, and I was very pleased to see that the teacher was asking the kids to tell the class about the Easter story. So a little boy in the preschool class went first, and he said this. He said, oh, I know, I know, and so it's jumping out of his pants, right? And, okay, I know, I know, all right? He said, Easter is when my family comes over, and we eat lots of turkey, and we watch football. <laughs> and the teacher said absolutely nothing. And um, can I confess my sin to you? Somebody like, please do, Pastor Jim. We like when you do that. Uh, you know, I got a little. I gave the teacher a little bit of a snarky look. I was like, "What are you doing? That's wrong. That's wrong." But the teacher said nothing. Well, then a, a little girl stood up, and I thought, well, here we go. This will finally, maybe we'll get so this little girl will get it right. And, and she said, um, I know what it is. So said, okay, well, what is it? She said, well, Easter is when um, you come running downstairs, and there's lots of presents under a tree. And the teacher said, nothing. And I gave her that look again. I was like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing with this? And I... You know, I looked at the teacher. We kept making eye contact, and I don't know whether she was um, just embarrassed or she was looking at me like, why don't you just leave, Pastor Jim? <laughs> and I was visibly frustrated. I, I have to admit it. I, I was not cool, calm, and collected. And I kept saying this. I kept going, you have to say something. You have to say something. You just can't let it go out there like that. Finally, third boy stood up and seemed ready to set the class on a good course. And he said, Easter is when Jesus died on the cross and was buried. 
Finally, somebody with the right answer. The teacher said, what happened after Jesus was buried? The boy said, that's easy. When Jesus came out of the grave, if he sees a shadow, we have six months more, six weeks more of winter. <laughs> this time, the teacher gave me the snarky look and said, everything you just said, Pastor Jim, was wrong. <laughs> because it was me who said that. Now, that's not a true story. Well, maybe it is. And here we are, we're studying the Gospel of Matthew, verse by verse. Jesus is in the temple. It is presumably Tuesday, the last week of his life before the cross. And the religious leaders are in a section, we might call it, um, asking questions to trick Jesus. And, and if we, we jump down to verse 29, look at what it says. It says, Jesus answered and said to them... Speaking to the religious leaders, you are mistaken. He would have made a terrible American, wouldn't he? I mean, can you believe he really just said that? Why would he say that? He says, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures. Now, these are the religious leaders. Not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. And so the title of our message this morning is simply this, Could You Be Wrong About God? Could you be wrong about God? Now let's go back to the beginning of the section and let's see really what's going on. Again, they're, they're in the temple. It's presumably very, very crowded there. And, and there's going to be three things we're going to divide our passage into. And number one will be a trick question. Number two, a challenging response. And three, an eternal truth. But I'll give them to you slowly as we go along. So, number one, a trick question, a trick question, verse 23. The same day, the Sadducees, and this is another group of religious leaders, last week we looked at the Pharisees, who say there is no resurrection. Now, let's just stop there for one second. I just want to stop something that happens in a lot of churches, and it's just wrong, okay? For years, people will be out in the hallway, they're going, uh, you know, they're the Sadducees, they believe there's no resurrection, that's why they're sad, you see. That is the corniest old joke in the history of Christianity. And I don't want to hear it out of any of your mouth, right? If you say that to somebody, tell them you go to 1st or 3rd or 15th Baptist. I don't care what you do, but, but don't tell them you go here. Back to the Bible, Jim. The same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and asked him, saying, Teacher. So the, remember he said last week the Pharisees, flattery, flattery, rabbi. Flattery. Moses said, and the great leader of the Old Testament, Moses, uh, in the book of Exodus, said that if a man dies having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. And you're like, what in the world is that? It's called Leverite marriage. So if you're the oldest and you're married and you, have a di and you die, your brother needs to take your wife. Uh, that Moses regulated that, Deuteronomy 25, but we see it in the Bible as early as Genesis 38. It was in order to preserve the, na the family name and the family inheritance, also protected the wife from being homeless, but it was not widely practiced all the way now into Jesus' day. He says, now there were with us seven brothers. Like, now you're like, come on. It, we know they're making up a lie. 
We know they're exaggerating. We know they're just trying to trick Jesus. Now, there were with us seven brothers. The first died after he had married, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third, even to the seventh. Last of all, the black widow died also. That's what it says in my version. (laughs) You know I have a different version than everybody else does. Okay, doesn't say that. Last of all, the wife died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, parentheses, which, by the way, we don't believe in Jesus. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? (laughs) Now, brothers are not famous for sharing, are they? But I'm sure here they are. Like, you take her, bro. You know, (laughs) it's like... Don't eat the cooking, though. I would not eat the cooking, man. Something's going on with this one. Everybody who's with her dies. So whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her. Now, uh, we're familiar. There's even a TV show about it. One I've only seen. Who knows how many there are. Uh, We're familiar about the practice of polygamy, where one man has several wives. Don't get any ideas, guys. You can't even handle the one you have. And so, and so, so, but there's actually something uh, called polyandry, and that is a woman who has many husbands. Why is beyond me? I, I don't even know because most wives I know, like, my husband's a big baby, or maybe that's just what my wife says. Um, so, so, they're all, so they pose this question to Jesus. Now, last week, presumably we're in the same day, Uh, The Pharisees, a different type of religious leader, and the Herodians, which were the pleasure seekers, they took a swipe at Jesus. How did that go for them? Not so well. When anybody ever takes a swipe at Jesus, it doesn't go so well, but these guys are so proud, so arrogant. They think, "Eh, you know, we're smart guys. We can can do it. And um, they all hated Jesus, you know, after the triumphal entry with all the, or Palm Sunday, with all the attention that Jesus got, after Jesus going in and overturning the tables, Uh, in the temple in judgment, they all agreed that Jesus had to go. Now, the Sadducees were an interesting crowd. There was less of them than the Pharisees. They were very rich, and they were very corrupt religious leaders. And they were in charge of the temple. They really did not like the Pharisees, and the, the feeling was mutual. But once again, Jesus, the great uniter, unites these two parties in their hatred of Jesus. They agreed they had, it was time for him to go. And so the Sadducees, for the most part, uh, only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, and they did not believe in the resurrection from the dead, but the Pharisees, on the other hand, they did uh, believe that. So the Sadducees believed that your soul dies with your body. So what would that be in contemporary American language? It might be something like this. Your soul dies with your body, but, but they would, we would say, you live, you die, you go in the ground, and that's it. That's it. A lot of people feel that way. Some of you here today, if you're here, that, that, I understand. I understand that, and you know, we're glad that you're here. But a lot of people feel that way. And so a lot of people would say, since it's that way, we're just going to live for the moment. Here's my question to that. Why are so many people so miserable? I mean, you, you talk to most physicians today, and they'll say the amount of people coming in for depression and anxiety and, and, and fear is astronomical. It's really unprecedented for doctors who've been practicing uh, for a long time. 
The truth of the matter is, is that people who are not confident really in death fear death. So let, let's call upon one of the great theologians of modern times, uh, Woody Allen. Some of you are like, he's not a th- one of the great theologians of modern times. There's really not that many. The competition's not that great. Woody Allen said this, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> it's actually quite logical. It makes a lot of sense if you ask me. Uh, one more from Woody Allen. He says, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it by not dying. So, so Woody is uh, definitely logical, and it's possible. Jesus proved it by, by walking out of that tomb. Now, life after death was something that fascinated the Jews, knowing that in this vast crowd there in the temple, uh, the Sadducees approached Jesus with an exaggerated hypothetical situation. A, a woman who has to keep marrying brothers, and, and so they say, Jesus, if she has to keep marrying brothers, if the resurrection is true, now this is a sad point for them right now, a lot of people seem to think that, that the resurrection would just be an extension of this life. How many of you are hoping that's what it's like? I'm not. <laughs> and so they, that's sort of the way they're thinking. They're thinking like, well, well, who is her husband? What are they trying to do? They are trying to discredit Jesus. They want to make Jesus choose between the beliefs of different groups Remember, like last week, one group will hate him and the other group will love him. He can't, he seems like he, he can't win. That's sort of where they're trying to get him, and he will begin, they will begin to weaken his influence. They're also trying to make Jesus look like a fool. So many have already come and tried, but they're going to try uh, as well. And it seems to me they're really kind of asking him this question Jesus. You don't really believe in all this resurrection silliness, do you? I mean, come on. We're, we're civilized people. You know? It's 23, you know, it's 30, 30 AD. We don't, we, don't, <laughs> we, don't, we don't believe in that kind of stuff. But, you know, this shouldn't surprise us. People constantly come up with obscure objections to the scriptures. How does it work? It works in a number of ways. A lot of people... Uh, pick one verse that they that they don't understand, and they'll like build a theology around it, and they'll say because of this is what I think it means that it it couldn't possibly be true, or they'll find a scripture that they find difficult, and so they just discount the entirety of the Word of God. Another thing that people do a lot of, and this is sad, this is sad that they they blame their lack of faith on the behavior of other so-called Christians. And, you know, I, again, I do think it's sad. We should never want that to be the case, but just logically think about that. Okay, it's a, it's a beautiful, hot Saturday, and you're driving down the, the Garden State Parkway to the shore. I'm from Long Island. We call it the beach. You're driving, you're driving down to the shore, and you're in the flow of traffic at, like, 90. <laughs> and some policeman pulls you over, License and registration, and you're like, I was just, I was just following everybody else. It was because of the way they were driving. I was driving that way. They give you a ticket and they say, "What? Have a nice day, <laughs> right? You, you can't, 
you can't really just say that. And, just, and, and the people that might be the bad example to you might not even be Christians. Uh, people will begin questions like this. Well, well what about? And those are fine if you really want to know. But a lot of people don't really want to know. Rather, they are trying to win an argument. And these types of things are, are plaguing our culture. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I realize that that's more you know, predominant on holidays. Uh, we're glad that you're here. And uh, I can speak for myself and many of the people here. We welcome uh, honest questions and rigorous debate. We're not, we're not against that. We think that you should really be uh, convinced of, of, of your position uh, for sure. And if you are a follower of Jesus, just remember that when people ask you questions, the subject is God. And, and it's important to realize that much about God is too deep for us. There's just a lot about him that, that we just don't know. I mean, just look about all the stuff in the world that you don't know let alone all the stuff in the cosmos that you don't know, let alone all the stuff in the unseen world that you don't know. Now, a lot of times people will say stuff like there's a lot of contradictions in, in the Bible. Usually when people ask me that, I'll just say, well, give me your top five. What do you think they say? Well, I'm not so sure I have five. Ah, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, I'll be gracious. Give me your top three. Well, I'm not so sure I have three. All right, give me your top one. And they, and they usually don't have one. But like, but I heard somebody say it. Oh, that makes it true, <laughs> right? Like, like somebody on television. Oh, that makes it really true. You know, somebody on the internet. Okay. Um, but, but they have to remember that a lot of things what people say are contradictions in the Bible are not really contradictions. Let me, let me give you a, an example from our own life from last week. One of my... Uh, friends actually was uh, heard that I was a preacher and was listening online and, and, and on the radio station and down where he lives and, and so told a, a friend of mine that guess what uh, our friend Jim from college is now a preacher so uh, one of my college friends came here last week now if um, if I talk to that other friend who t- called him and he, we talk in the near future I'll say yes he came and visited Okay, he came and visited. Now, we spent a lot of time talking after the service, with, and, and he was talking, he was there, and I was there, and my wife was there, and his wife was there. And someone might say to Pam, uh, I saw Jim talking, and you talking to that couple, and she say, oh, that's a friend of his from college, and his wife. So now, I said, I w- told my friend, I was just talking that he came. Pam says, him and his wife came. Is that an inconsistency? It's not. It's just two people telling the story about what is relevant to what they're saying in the story. The fact that there was one person doesn't mean that there wasn't two, and the fact that there was two doesn't mean that I could talk about a single person. So that's what a lot of people say that the inconsistencies, inconsistencies or contradictions are. What there are a lot of in the Bible is paradoxes. There's actually quite a lot of paradoxes. You say, what in the world is a paradox? I don't go to school anymore. Things that seem contradictory, but they are not. Why? Because the subject, again, is God. We often say this, that God could be present in the hospital. And someone just died and a family is grieving, and God is there with them, grieving with that family. At the same time, he's up on the next floor, 
with a couple that just had a baby and is full of joy because they just had a little baby. You see, God is not in the, in the same. When we think about God just being like us, that's where we're going to get into thinking there's contradictions, not paradoxes. Let me give you one of my favorite paradoxes, Galatians 2.20. We got that up there? There we go. The Apostle Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. So does Paul live? Not according to that. But Christ lives in me and the life which I now live. Wait a minute, I thought you don't live. (laughs) What's up with that? The life that I now live, I live in the flesh. I'm still in my body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, these guys are, you know, you might say, they're not really, but you might say they're starting a religion. You think they'd put a contradiction in the same verse? I mean, come on, they're smarter than that. No, it's a paradox because it's about God. And so, and so sometimes there's stuff that is confusing in the Bible because it's about God and it's going to take years of study to try and figure this out. And people will come to you with trick questions like, They're coming to Jesus, but there are answers. You may not know them on the spot, but there are answers. Well, that takes us from the trick question to number two, a challenging response. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken. Did did Jesus tell someone they were wrong? (laughs) I mean, again, picture the scene. Jesus is in the temple. These guys rule the place. It's their place. Probably in the court of Gentiles, we've said before, where anybody was allowed to be in. There could be thousands of people. They're watching these religious leaders come up to Jesus. They're like, oh, this is going to be good. Everybody's listening to what's going on. And and Jesus says to the people who essentially run the place, "Um, you have any idea what you're talking about? (laughs) You don't know what you're talking about. And so how could Jesus say that? Well, he gives them two reasons. He says, you're mistaken not knowing the scriptures. Now, a lot of these guys had the first five books of the, of the Bible memorized. And he says, you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. Now, what I like about Jesus is that doesn't end the conversation. He's not like, you know, just get out of my face or something like that. Instead, Jesus gives them a picture of the resurrection. Verse 30. For in the resurrection, so obviously Jesus believes in it, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. So he just said, in heaven, there's no marriage. Now, some of you are like, that's the good news. Okay, <laughs> Others of you are like, that's bad news. Some of you, one of you think it's good news. The other one thinks it's bad news. That's uh, another story for another day. What I want to just point out to is they come to Jesus, they pose this thing, and Jesus is no people pleaser. And perhaps we would do well to stop thinking we can tell Jesus the way things ought to be. Or we can tell Jesus the way things are. Jesus looks these religious leaders right in the eyes and says, you are mistaken. You are mistaken. How embarrassing. What a loss of face for those guys. Another version says, you've gone astray. Another version puts it this way, you are wrong. Another, you are in error. Another, you are deceived. And perhaps my favorite of all, you are ignorant. Now, some people go, 
would Jesus really talk like that? He just did. <laughs> and he does it a lot. He does it a lot. And here's the thing we have to get it right. He does it a lot with religious people who think that they know their stuff. And, and Jesus quite often corrects people's wrong conclusions that they come up with. And interestingly enough, a lot of times those wrong conclusions they come up with actually are from the Bible. He's correcting the way they read the Bible. It's like Jesus says to these guys, listen, um, you can quote the Bible, but you don't understand the Bible. Now, if you're not not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to let you in on a little secret, okay? Don't tell the church people that I said this. Um, People saying that they're Christians and not knowing the Bible is epidemic in the Church of the United States of America. It is absolutely epidemic, and and biblical illiteracy is why there is so much bad information out there. And and the louder the mouth, the more the illiteracy, the more chance they're going to end up on television. Because they're just going to make everybody look like these closed-minded hate mongers or whatever they want them to, to look like. Sadly, much of the American church wants heaven on earth. They say they want to go to heaven, but a lot of people live like this is all there is. Sometimes I hear people talk, and it, it's very sad. They, they talk like the, the scripture was written solely um, to serve their earthly existence. Even, even if you believe in the resurrection of the dead, it's sad if you believe that the resurrected life is merely a continuation of this life. So here again, you have to just, the, the, the drama that is unfolding here. He's making these guys look so bad in front of everybody else. He's like, you don't understand the scriptures. You don't understand the power of God. You don't understand that God raises the dead. Now, a few Old Testament scriptures, they would have known the Old Testament. Why they only appealed to the, they only appealed to the first five books of the Bible, but they would know these verses. Isaiah 26, 19. Your dead shall live, together with my dead body they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust, for your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. The picture there of the earth just taking dead people and just throwing them out because they live. Daniel 12, 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life. That's a term for heaven some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's hell. Now, I don't, I don't, um, my desire up here is not to make anybody, you know, leave here feeling guilty. If you and God decide you're guilty, that's up to you too. That's not my desire. But I really want everybody to leave here today to really consider your eternal destiny. I mean, to really think about it. Have you really given much thought to when you close your eyes, what's going to happen to you? It's going to happen to all of us, right? Unless the Lord returns soon. I talk to people all the time. They're like, yeah, I'm thinking of buying life insurance in case I die. I'm like, in case you die. (laughs) It's going to happen. 
<laughs> right? You just need to know what kind of policy and how many years and all that. But, but it, 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 it's going to happen. Job 19, 25 through 27, Job says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at the last on the earth. After my skin is destroyed, that would be death, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. So he says, I'm going to go in the grave, but I know in my body I'm going to see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. You know, one of the ways you know your eternal destination is heaven is your heart yearns for God. Your, your heart yearns for heaven. The power of God will make us different. The wise guy religious leaders, to the wise guy religious leaders, Jesus says, They'll be like the angels. Not you will be an angel, but you'll be like the angel. And Jesus explains that marriage is not part of the program. Now, Jesus is doing multiple things here, as he often does. He's actually taking another dig at the Sadducees. Not only don't they believe in the resurrection, they don't believe in angels. And he's also doing it while saying that heaven will be different. Now, many of the people in this room have experienced the the power of God on earth, me being one of them, in the sense of a dramatically changed life. Now, for some people, it was a momentary change. For some people, it took place over time. But it is amazing when you talk to a lot of them, a lot of them, what is in common is they realized a couple things. One of them is I was wrong about God, that I had God wrong. Another one, believe it or not, is I realized that I wasn't going to heaven. We've said before that, that we tell people God loves them, and they're like, well, big deal, he loves everybody. But when it dawns on you that you might not be going to heaven and you really think about it, that is a, that's an interesting thing that begins to stir inside of your soul. And so this resurrection from the dead, when you put your trust in Jesus initially, that is, that is the beginning of your eternal life. But at the next phase is the resurrection from the dead is the beginning of a brand new life. And all of our relationships will, will, will be intimate because they will be without sin. Now, as a pastor, you end up meeting with a lot of couples. And they're saying that they're having trouble. And uh, I don't mean to be rude, but I'll just tell you the way it is. The first five minutes is a complete waste of time for me. It's a complete waste of time for me. Because I know when I ask the wife, what's the problem? She's going to go, Him. And when I ask the husband, what's the problem? He's going to go, her. <laughs> right? that, that, that's part of life in a sinful world. That, that's part of the way it goes. But in, in heaven, all of those problems will cease to exist. Now, some might say, why doesn't God just make marriage perfect in heaven? Well, every relationship will be perfect in heaven. We, we won't need that. Plus, there's another reason for that. One of the reasons God wants his people to marry one another, he tells us in the scriptures, is he wants godly offspring. He wants people, he wants children to be raised in the faith. Well, do you know what heaven is going to be filled with? Only godly offspring. That's all that's going to be there. It's going to be God's children. So we talk about this thing, resurrection. Uh, medical science has made great strides Sometimes we can resuscitate people, but we can't 
reverse death. Jesus raised people from the dead in his earthly ministry, but those people were raised in their earthly bodies, and they all went on to die. Uh, on, on Easter Sunday, the first Easter Sunday, Jesus Christ rose from the dead in an eternal body, a physical, eternal body that would never perish, that would never die. And that shows us the power of God to reverse death and to place us into a transformed body and to place us into a transformed creation. So it's important to understand, Daniel said that some people will end up going to heaven, some will end up going to hell. The scripture teaches us that the way to get to heaven, actually, the, the really bad news is the scripture says, and you can read it in John chapter 3 and fight with God about it, not me, is that we're actually born not going to heaven. We have to make a change of destination because of our sinful nature. And so the way to change that destination to get to heaven is to turn to God, to admit that we're sinners, turn to God, put our trust in Jesus, the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead, Jesus Christ, the totally perfect one. Takes all the pressure off you perfectionists. You don't have to live that way anymore. Jesus lived that life for you. Now, one of the sad things about our culture right now, and um, isn't it weird? <laughs> for those of you who are young, for those of us who are old, you know, people like me who are alive when dinosaurs roamed the earth, um, <clears throat> this world is so weird right now. It's like that election in 2016 brought out the weirdness in half the world. I mean, it's just so weird what's going on right now. And, and what's sad is that many in our culture, and, and I'm not making a, a statement on this at all other than the fact that many in our culture proclaim a faith and trust in your sexual identity. Jesus just said that sexual identity is not even going to be in heaven. It's not going to be the marrying, giving Mary. That's, that's not even going to be there. The, the only identity of those in heaven are those who have their identity in Jesus Christ. You can have your identity in a lot of different things. Maybe in your work, in your career, in, in some skill that you have or something like that. But it's the identity in Jesus Christ that is going to get you into heaven. The identity in the Messiah. In the Old Testament, they looked ahead to the Messiah. And now as New Testament people, we look in the rearview mirror to the Messiah who has already come. Now, it's interesting. The Bible doesn't really tell us much about heaven. Now, some of you are going right now, oh, I got a, I got a couple books at home, right? I can, I, I can show them to you. I read all those books all the time on heaven. Do you ever notice they're all different? Like, and, and the funny thing is the Apostle Paul, he tells us he got caught up to heaven and he was like, I couldn't really describe it. Like, there's no earthly words to describe what I saw. But plenty of authors making lots of money can come up with it. One guy even, even recanted. He goes, the whole thing was false. Like, after he sold like 10 million copies of the book. Another guy, honestly, his name was Malarkey. Never buy a book about heaven by a game named, guy named Malarkey. <laughs> right? Like, change your name, dude. Right? Everything you say is malarkey, man. But we're not told a lot about heaven. We're, we're, we're told more about won't, what won't be there. 
What won't be there? The things that cause us pain here. The things that cause us sorrow here. Those are the things that will be the absence of in heaven. One of the, to me, one of the greatest snapshots of what the next life will be for a follower of Jesus is actually in the Old Testament. Psalm 73, verse 25 and 26. The psalmist says this, Whom have I have in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail. He's going to die. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So he says, here on earth, there's nothing I desire more than God. I want you more than anything. And, and, and then he says, you are my portion. I will have you forever. Now, I've heard people say stuff like this. Like, I want to go to heaven, but I'm not really into Jesus. I want to go to heaven, but I'm not that really so much into God. First off, it would be very unfair for God to send you there. C.S. Lewis said, the door to hell is locked from the inside. It would be very unfair to God for, to make you go to a place where you're going to love and worship him if you don't love and worship him. But, but when we look at what the psalmist writes here, I think it's, it's more applicable and more accurate for us to stop so much thinking about heaven as a place and thinking of it as a person. He, he says, he says that you're my desire. You are my portion forever. It's all about my relationship with you. And so thinking about, about the eternal existence is the fact that we are going to be with Jesus. And so Jesus challenges them. He's like, you guys got it all wrong. You don't know, understand what's going on. So from a trick question to a challenging response, number three, an eternal truth. Verse 31, Jesus still speaking. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read? There's the Jesus jab, right? He keeps making at them. Like, you know, go on Amazon, buy a Bible. If you get prime, it'll be here in two days. You never know, you might get it overnight. He says, you guys, you you know, have you not read? And here's the thing. Plenty of people read the Bible, but the Bible doesn't always read them. People try to grasp the Bible, but the Bible doesn't always grasp them. And so he's saying, you you read the Bible, but there's something really wrong. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Saying, let's stop right there. He is about to quote Exodus 3, 6. God is talking to Moses on the mountain. Maybe 1,500, 1,800 years, I forget the dates, 1,500 years earlier. And Jesus says this. He doesn't say he was talking to Moses. He says he was talking to you. And so he says, Jesus says, Have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? Talking about he's the God of the great patriarchs. And then Jesus adds his own commentary in there. After quoting Moses, he says this, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. 
So Jesus does something that he, he, he really does quite regularly. We often say around here that, that there's one way to God and it's through Jesus. But there's a lot of different ways to get to Jesus and there's a lot of different ways Jesus gets to us. And so what does he do? He, he meets them in the pages of the Bible where they believe. You, all, you only want to talk about the first five books of the Bible? Fine. We'll only talk about the first five books of the Bible. Your great hero is Moses who wrote them? Great. We'll talk about Moses. I'll meet you there. And, but he says, what was spoken to you by God. This, to me, is an incredible statement about the word of God. That it is personally spoken to you. That it is personally spoken to me. And here's the thing. These guys are unbelievers. <laughs> they are unbelieving religious leaders. And God says that when I wrote this, I was speaking to you. But here's the thing. We can't just read it and then have our opinion on it. We have to work the text. We have to work very hard. It takes years and years. It will take an entire lifetime. Some, listen, when I, you know, when I do premarital with, with couples, I'll tell them, listen, you know, you're going to spend the rest of your life getting to know someone. You choose whether it's joyful or it's painful. Because you're, there's a lot, you, you think, you, I know you think, oh, we're in love. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> you, think, you, you think that you love each other now, but you have a lot to learn. And you decide whether it's frustrating or it's a joyful discovery. And that's the way it is with God. We have to learn or, or these, some of these things or these paradoxes or these confusing things will, will turn us upside down and inside out. So you've got to look at the portion that you're reading within the book of the Bible that you're reading. What type of a genre is it? Is it poetry? Is it, is it narrative? Is it where we're getting instructions from the apostles? Is, what, what is it? You have to look in the context of the, the, the testament that you're reading, in the context of the whole Bible from creation all the way to the consummation, all the way to the end. It takes a lot to understand it. And, and what's you say, well, what's the best way to get started? Roll up your sleeve, send us an email, and we'll help you get started. That, that's all it takes. People say to me all the time, how, how long it take you to write a sermon? Somebody asked me that Friday night. You know, Friday night, Good Friday service. I spoke out of Zechariah 3. Somebody's like, could you pick a more obscure passage, Jim? How long did it take you to write that passage? I said, 31 years. They're like, 31 years? It wasn't very good then, right? 31 years. No, it's my whole life. It's my whole Christian life. I've been a Christian for 31 years. It, 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 it's work. We have to seek what God thinks that it means. So Jesus is telling them that they are wrong about God. Now, these are religious leaders. We should not assume our religious leaders are right about God. I see guys on the television all the time. I'm like, wrong, 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 wrong. So we can't make that assumption. He says in verse 32, he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Very interesting. That's the same name. That's, I am is the name of God. Same thing Jesus calls himself multiple times in the New Testament, especially in the Gospel of John. And then Jesus adds, he says, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. That, my dear friends, is the great promise of the resurrection. God says, Jesus says, 
I am, not I was. I am. I always am. I'm the God who was. I'm the God who is. And I am the God who will be for all eternity. And Jesus looks at these guys and says, I know you've read it. I know you've heard it over and over again. I know you went to synagogue. I know you went to temple. I know you go to church. But you still have not grasped what God was saying to you in Exodus 3, 6. Jesus is telling the religious leaders. Jesus is telling the people in the temple. Jesus is telling you. Jesus is telling me. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Though they're gone from the earth, for for us, over 2,000 years, they are still alive. They are not gone. They are still alive. And they are, in fact, now living a truer experience of life than they ever were here on earth because now they live with God. It was the desire of their heart, and now he is their portion forever. Easter reminds us that this all-powerful God will keep his promises to his people and he will raise them from the dead. Why? Because God loves his people and for those who love him, he will give them their desire and eternity with Jesus. Verse 33 ends this section. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. It's amazing. Jesus seeming to the religious leaders an uneducated carpenter from Nazareth, but his short and to the point answer to the highly educated religious leaders shocked the crowds, stunned the onlookers. The religious leaders came to say, to ask this question of everybody, have everybody answer this question. Is this guy from Galilee? Is this guy from Nazareth? Is this guy from Podunk? Is he credible? And the people are standing there going, not only is he credible, he is incredible. Because the best of the best, no matter what they throw at him, they cannot outsmart him. For a follower of Jesus, their astonishment should feed our confidence and really change the way we live our lives now. We should not only live for Jesus, but we also need to trust Jesus laying aside With God's help, God never asks us to do any of this stuff alone. So many of our fears and so much of our anxiety. Jesus died on the cross so those who would put their trust in him could have the forgiveness of sin. Jesus rose from the dead so those who put their trust in him could enter in eternity without death to be with him. So let me just ask you this if you're not a follower of Jesus. Could you be wrong about God? Is it possible that you're wrong? Could you be wrong about the Son of God? Could you be wrong that that God actually did become a man in the person of Jesus Christ and and died on the cross as a sinner in your place for your sins and, and rose from the dead to prove that he had beaten sin? In John chapter 11, Jesus' friend Lazarus has died, was dead for a few days, and his um. Sister Martha was distraught. That's like a a nice 
preacher way of, of saying that she was upset. She was ticked off at Jesus. She basically walks up to him and goes, where were you? Where were you? Blaming Jesus for what happened. Verse 25, John eleven twenty-five. 25, Jesus said to her, I am. There's that term, right? I am. Same thing that God said to Moses. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me. Now let's just stop there for one second. Words change meaning over time. They change. I hear my kids say words, and I'm like, that was a curse when I was a kid, <laughs> right? And, and they change meaning over time. And, and we think of believe. People say to you all the time, well, I believe in God. I believe in God. In Galatians, it says, do you, do, do you believe God? It takes out the word in. Do you believe God? Do you believe what God says? Probably more similar, our word today would be the word trust. He says to her, He who believes, he who trusts in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes and trusts in me shall never die. And then he looks her right in the eye and he says this. Do you believe this? And I believe with all of my heart. I would never never do this, seriously, if I didn't believe this stuff with all of my heart. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus looks in your eye and my eye this morning and says this. Do you believe this? Do you trust me? Do you really, do you really trust me? Has God in his word spoken to you? Written years ago, but today still speaks to you. Throughout Matthew's gospel, Matthew has taught us, we've seen that astonishment is not faith. Amazement is not faith. Marveling is not faith. Going to church is not faith. Being a quote unquote good person is not faith. None of that stuff is faith and trust. Faith leads to following Jesus. And though these religious leaders are unbelievers, Jesus still speaks to them and calls them to believe. And if you're not a Christian right now, God's calling you in this place to believe. Calling you to faith and trust in him. If you reject his call, the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ will not be effective for you. You will be, you will be rejecting the forgiveness of sins and eternal life in heaven. But if you're willing today to repent and believe, as Jesus said, to turn, repent is to turn, believe, to trust in Jesus Christ, like Woody Allen wanted and wants, you won't die. You can know Jesus personally, even if up to this point in your life, you have been 100% totally wrong about God. Even up to this point, you have been totally wrong about Jesus. If you trust in him, you will experience his power and his love, his forgiveness and eternal life. And so now just for me, I'm gone. Now Jesus speaks to you. Do you believe him? What are you going to do with him? You got to answer that question for yourself. Well, let's pray.